0: Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly, Sunday Morning Messages. My name is Ted Bendel, and today I have the privilege of continuing the series of messages on the miracles of Jesus, today looking at the stilling of the storm. Let's get started. Good morning, all. And thank you, David and Vicki. If you would turn with me to Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. The passage of particular focus this morning is just the last paragraph, beginning at verse 35. Before we read, let's pray. Father... We come to you, we come to your word. And we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would draw us close, and and Father, that you would uh, so work in us by your Spirit, that we might grasp um, the ideas and the reality Of what you want to speak to us and what you want us to hear and what you want us to, how you want us to respond. We thank you, Father, for the privilege of your word and uh, give you the praise and the honor in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Mark chapter 4 and verse 35. I'm told that the the geography of the Sea of Galilee is unique. The water surface is something like 200 meters below sea level. And it's surrounded by mountains that rise well above 2,000 meters above sea level. And because of that location, it's subject to violent windstorms that seem to come out of nowhere but can quickly stir the waters of that small lake into waves that would make even a seasoned sailor panic. And that was the situation of this story, brief story. Now, I invite you just to, to turn with me to the, the rest of chapter 4 and just to get the context of what's going on here. Um he's, Jesus is teaching beside the sea. A very large crowd's gathering. Um, he's, he's busy and he's teaching some of the best known parables that he uses: the parable of the sower. Uh, The purpose of the parables, the the light lamp under a basket, the parable of the seed sowing, the parable of the mustard seed. Uh, Jesus has has been very busy. It's it's been a long day for him. And by Mark's account, he's he's teaching right there on the on the lakeshore. And such a crowd has gathered around him that they have practically pushed him off the beach. And onto one of the one of the boots that was tied there but then something happened at the end of this exhausting day and those of you who are teachers um, or who have preached you know how exhausting even a couple of hours can be and here is there all day But at the end of that day, just before sunset, Jesus is um, drawn to an urgent appointment on the other side of the lake. He didn't even take time to dismiss the crowd, but he just left them there on the beach. And on the other side of the lake, as David shared with us last week, Uh, he would encounter and deliver a man who had for far too long been tormented by demonic activity. But on the way, something dramatic happened. Now, I like the way that Mark places this incident right in the middle of Jesus' ministry. It sounds like it came straight out of Peter's recollections. Even that incidental that otherwise unimportant detail that there were other boats with them suggests that Mark got it straight from Peter that it was not a tale that had been repeated and repeated and repeated before Mark finally heard it. Maybe Mark got it from Peter's personal journal or it occurs to me just possibly Mark himself was there that day. But there's another thing that that makes this sound very personal. In most places, Mark is typically very brief in his description of what happened. He gives us just the facts. But here, Mark is much more expansive than either Matthew or Luke. Matthew and Luke just give us um, abbreviated versions of this story. So, clearly this was an important event for Peter and for Mark. So let's go back at it and take a look at it slowly. Verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with him, They took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. As we look at the event, remember that Peter and several of the other early disciples, John, Andrew, and James for sure, were experienced sailors and fishermen. They knew this lake well. They had sailed and fished it for quite a number of years. But there was trouble and a test coming. Verse 37. A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Now you can imagine, this boat was not uh, experiencing a gentle rocking motion that would have put him to sleep. This would have been quite violent, so that the exhausted Jesus would have been thrown around a fair bit. But still, he slept through it. And so the ancient Jewish mind, the sea, and especially a storm at sea, represented the forces of chaos and evil. Those forces that were trying to undo God's good creation. For example, in Genesis 1 we read that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The point is that God is supreme over the chaos. Now as modern people we don't typically view the sea that way. But we still use the language of a boat, of a ship at sea, when uh, things in our lives are unraveling. For example, we, we experience a sinking feeling when the doctor gives us bad news. We say we're swamped with bills. We talk about being hit with waves of depression or of being pounded with one trial after another. We see the storm clouds rising when our kids make choices that we know will hurt them down the road. And some of us know what it's like to have a marriage that's about to be dashed against the rocks. And a little bit of trivia here, in more liturgical churches, the area where you folk are sitting is even referred to as the nave, a word that comes from the same root as navy and suggests the image of the church as a ship that's going somewhere. But back to our story. I find myself wondering what would have happened if these sailor disciples had done nothing more. If they had simply worked their sailing craft and expected that God would somehow come through. I mean, after all, since Jesus is God become a human. He could not have drowned. After all, he had a mission to accomplish that would not be fulfilled by his drowning in the lake. And we know that in his love for these men, he would have seen to their deliverance. Just a wonder wonder if. But we'll never know what might have happened because these Seasoned sailors were terrified. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Many commentators take exception to the disciples treating Jesus this way. and in fact, But in fact, the, the disciples are standing in the long line of Old Testament tradition of lament. Now, lament is simply a cry of need in the context of a crisis. And in this sense, lament is always directed to someone that we believe has the power to do something about the situation. One of the grief-share speakers noted that when we are unhappy with, for example, a purchase that we make, we lament and we ask to see the manager because we believe that the manager has the power to address the situation. And think about it. A, baby, a baby's cry is an instinctive lament The baby quickly learns that if they cry long enough, someone will show up to address the situation. They'll do what's necessary. Then take a look, for example, at examples of lament in the Psalms. Psalm 4. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Psalm 6, my soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. Psalm 10, why, O Lord, do you stand afar off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Psalm 13, how long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? I could pile up the quotations, but you get the picture. And the writings of Job and of Jeremiah also contain moving examples of lament. I mean, Jeremiah penned the whole book of Lamentations. But the point is that God does not frown on such honest expressions of emotional distress. In fact, he encourages us to use lament ourselves. And how many of us, without even knowing the term, have used lament ourselves? in our own prayer. Not the carefully polished prayer of Sunday morning or of the prayer meeting, but the prayer of anguish and distress. Like, oh God, why don't you do something for them? Or even the shorter, God, help me! But even in our expressions of lament, there's a wrong way and a right way to put it. And the words might well be the same. If we are accusing God of indifference, or if somehow we believe that God would never let his children suffer, then we're way off base. But, if we're only frustrated at the timing, if it's only a matter of, I don't like this, I don't understand this, but still, I'm trusting you with it. That's a completely different situation. So the disciples used the structure of lament here in their terror. But somehow they failed to see Jesus as more than teacher. Verse 39. He awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Jesus says just two things. Peace. And be still. When he says peace, he's talking to the wind, and I think to the disciples as well. When he says be still, he's talking to the waves. Again, you know, think about this situation. It's one thing for the wind to die down. But perhaps even more astounding is the, that the sea became completely calm. If you've ever spent any time around a large body of water, like Lake Superior or an ocean, you know that even when the winds stop and the storm ends, the waves keep pounding for hours. Hours. And yet Jesus caused the sea to be as smooth as glass immediately Jesus didn't pray and ask God to calm the storm now here's a this is an important point he commanded it himself and all he did was speak just as he had done in the beginning In Genesis. Now in the Bible, the calming of storms at sea is something that God alone can do. For example, again we turn to the psalm, psalm 65. You still the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs or psalm 89 you rule the raging of the sea when its waters rise you still them and the point of the incident is that Jesus is not only a human who grows weary and sleeps on the cushion and he is far more than teacher He is, in fact, the sovereign Lord God who alone has authority over all creation. In a way, Jesus was presenting his credentials to the disciples. In his actions, in his command to and his command of the wind and the waves, Jesus was declaring himself to be God. And the response proved the point. I mean, everything stilled right now. And then Jesus turned to the disciples and said, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now we come to the crunch. Yes, the disciples had expressed lament when they woke Jesus from his sound sleep. But but was it the lament of, I don't like this, but still I trust you? Or was it the lament of accusation that somehow God was not doing his job? There's a couple of things to notice here. Just notice how Jesus responded. Although the disciples still had no conception of who they were talking to, although they did not at this point recognize Jesus as being God in the flesh, Jesus still acted for their safety and deliverance. Even though they did not yet fully trust him, Jesus was still there for them. That's the nature of our God. In his love and compassion, he doesn't wait for us to have our theology correct. Instead, he takes the initiative. He's right here. Whether you are ready for him or not. Now, he might put us through a test, a trial. But the test is for our benefit so that we will learn to trust Him. And how did the disciples respond? They were terrified before. But now, Bart says, they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey Him? They'd been panic-stricken, panic-stricken in the middle of the storm. But now they were filled with great fear. They were awe-stricken. Somehow they knew, although they they couldn't yet put it into words. They somehow knew that they had they were face to face with the living God, and they still lived. The disciples asked one very important question. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And they came closer to understanding just who Jesus is by being in the middle of that miracle. In that sense, the miracle was a sign, a sign that points to the identity of Jesus. That would take them a few years, and a few years later, um, Paul would pen a hymn to in his letter to his friends in Philippi to describe who Jesus is. And he said in Philippians two, you, it's a familiar passage. Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name of uh, of, that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven. And on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Who is Jesus and what has he done are important questions that each of us needs to answer for ourselves. But there's another question that is at least as important. A question the disciples seemingly failed to ask. Who is this that even the raging, life-threatening circumstances do not affect his sleep? Now, really, there are two miracles here. The most obvious is Jesus' calming of the storm. And from that, many Commentators and preachers deduce that correctly that we can turn to Jesus when we are being swamped by problems and grief and uncertainty, and we can expect Him to deal with them. That happens. Have you been going through storms in your life? If you haven't, you most certainly will. They're coming. But Jesus can calm any storm by his command. Quiet. Be still. The storm is something that we have no or very limited control over. We might feel helpless or powerless or afraid in the middle of it could be a health issue or death in the family or a job or financial crisis, a relationship problem, a loved one's dire circumstance, a difficult exam, whatever. Serious temptation. It's easy and natural to be shaken by difficult or challenging or seemingly impossible situations and circumstances. Look around us. In a storm now? Family In Canada, How about in the world? Well you look around The news is full of issues. There are so many storms that can make us afraid make us feel helpless or powerless. Maybe we're afraid of failure or afraid of wasted time or fruitless efforts or afraid of suffering or loss of debt or death. And we might be tempted to say, like Jesus' disciples, Jesus, don't you care about me, my family, our church, this country? And the truth is that he does care. He's right here, right now, ready to take the burden of your problems on his own shoulders. And in fact, he's done that already. All you need to do is to let him carry you and your frightening burden. It's true. You are powerless in this storm. But Jesus is master of the storm. But the even greater miracle, I think, is Jesus calm in the storm. How is it that when the boat was being tossed around, Jesus wasn't even seasick. How could he sleep through it all? It wasn't just a suppression of fear. Jesus' calm, his peace, was a reflection of his complete confidence in his relationship with the Father and his knowledge of his mission. He knew that the Father would not let him drown. Quite a number of years ago now, a fierce storm broke over the Bendel household. And I was unprepared for it and powerless in it. But a day or two into that storm, a dear saint, Peggy's brother, reminded me of a scripture that became our secure anchor. Isaiah 26 and verse 3 and 4. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. In the middle of that storm, we were kept safe, not by anything we brought into the situation but by the peace of God himself. Without knowing or even being sure which direction was up at times, without resources to shelter or feed or clothe our boys, the Lord God was indeed our stay. His resources flowed through many of your hands, to meet our needs and eventually to bring us to fellowship here. Now, the storm wasn't over in a day. And I don't know of any specific instance during the storm when Jesus spoke to the storm, Peace, be still. But his peace was and continues to be our daily experience. And that remarkable peace is available To every one of you as well. All God asks is that we be honest with Him and with ourselves. Are you feeling powerless, hopeless, or, to use another nautical term, way beyond your depth? Then tell him how you're feeling. But remember he is not some sort of genie in a bottle to know His peace in the storm or His calming of the storm, we need to surrender to Him. Honestly, give Him your life. Give Him all your hopes and desires, all your sin, all your failure. And He'll take care of it all. And then ask Him for His peace. He's promised it to you. Ask this God who loves you so much, who even sent his Son, the Lord Jesus, to rescue and redeem you. Ask him for the peace to allow him to work in you and around you and through you for your good and his glory. How did the disciples respond to Jesus' rebuke? Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Mark recorded that they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey Him? They wondered about Jesus' true identity. Who is He that the winds and the waves hear and obey His word? Of course, Jesus is much more than prophet or a spokesman of God. Prophets can pray and speak in the name of the Lord, but they have no authority to speak on their own. Jesus spoke on his own authority because he is Lord of all. What about us? The name of Jesus is our defense, our confidence. Our joy, our hope, our victory, our salvation, our story, our song, our blessed assurance. Jesus is our Savior and Lord. If we are in Him, if He is holding us, there's no room for fear because there's victory in Jesus, there is peace. In Jesus. There is salvation. In Jesus alone. So we bring our praise and our thanks. To the Lord Jesus Christ. Who calms our storms and fears. By his words of grace and truth. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Peace. Be still. Lord, we just uh, are blessed to be able to hear those words in our ears today. Peace be still. And so as we have this time to look at these events and see your authority over the winds and the waves and over all our life situations, we uh, are grateful that you are here with us, that we can rest in you, and that you have given us your uh your peace, and we pray that we might share that abroad. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you are in the Timmins area or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.